24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and every day that ends in Y. Your talk, your station, News Talk K57. Welcome to the Data Hub with Tyrone Titano. I'm uh, Tyrone Titano, Director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. Caller online, uh, David Delosolo. David, are you there? Okay, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you, yes. And uh, I was sorry for the t- minor technical glitches in starting the program, but we have online David Delosolo, Director of the Department of Labor. And uh, tonight's program will uh, be examining uh, uh, federal policy uh, towards Guam and new developments uh, after the top of the hour. Uh, we're going to have Claude Leangro discuss about the incoming Biden administration, but on island, on online right now is David DeSola, Director of the Department of Labor, to give us the latest on the PUA program. David, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me over. Well, yes, I, it's been uh, quite a hectic <laughs> last couple of weeks. A hectic last couple of weeks, and it's in, I think, as... Um, as um, uh, I just want to uh, give you the opportunity also to communicate what's happening in the PUA program because uh, part of the, your uh, responsibilities as um, Director of the Guam Department of Labor is not only administering the uh, PUA program in a manner that is uh, that meets uh, federal requirements, you know, so be the program continued for the uh, uh, thousands of, of people who depend upon it, uh, but also to protect the, the uh, taxpayers of Guam from any liability for uh, misspending any of that money, and for which the taxpayers will be liable and have to pay the federal government back. And I, I think part, and also part of that responsibility is also making sure clearly we people understand um, what's going on with the program and where it stands right now. As we've seen from the uh, 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 almost nightmarish last 10 months of the COVID-19 uh, um, uh, uh, crisis, is that uh, uh, misinformation. Uh, uh, for ex- uh, f- or on things like you know, well, you can inject yourself with bleach and that will take care of it, or um, as evidenced by um, a co- happy comments from our uh, our departed uh, former president Donald Trump about how it's not really a problem, and then and it will just like go away like magic, and uh, it, it's all that other stuff is um, is has real life consequences in terms of uh, uh, hurting people's lives and costing people their lives. Oh, so in any event, uh, but uh, sorry for that that sound in the background. But um, so your job, I, I think, is is important, particularly given how vital is for the economy and the thousand people in the program, is to also be very clear as to what's happening with the program. Now, recently, um, there has been a sort of a um, one of those mini controversies that don't really have matter to people's real lives, but um, uh, regarding uh, reduced hour workers. And whether they're, uh, you, you're in a position uh, as a minister of the PUA program to address that issue or, or, or not, in, given the federal constraints and how you can spend that money. And um, there was a front page article in today's post that said very clearly, reduced our workers ineligible in 2020. And um, you're featured in that article today very clearly explaining um, not what the, um, uh, not necessarily what, what the Guam Department of Labor's policy is, but what the federal policy is for the program you're administering. And I think you very clearly laid out uh, that situation. So, uh, David, perhaps you would care to expand upon what um, we read in today's paper as to where we stand in the pool program as a whole, and particularly with regard to reduced our workers. Yeah, and uh, just to quickly recap, uh, at the end of the year when they uh, uh, continued the Assistance Act was passed, and we were moving into the second phase of the pool that expired on the 27th, mm-hmm. uh, they, they, in a technical call with all states and territories, that was where they re, uh, 
uh, emphasize the fact that reduced hours when a company is open is not qualified. And uh, um, like I said, there was probably 15 to 20 states and territories that were misinterpreting that whole uh, um, eligibility and were moving and were giving it out. So uh, they understood that and they just required good faith corrections moving forward and that would be how we would be judged. So of course when I heard that, that was kind of floored. Mm. But uh, upon closer examination and on many technical assistance calls with USDOL, I wanted to get the bottom of what exactly does that mean and how exactly do we try to fix it from uh, our perspective. So uh, it's quite clear their position was in, it, in the JJ eligibility, an individual place of employment is closed as a direct result of COVID. Doesn't allow any other option as far as partially open or part-time workers or anything. And uh, that is what uh, they were clearly announcing. There is only one area that I know of that allows for reduced hours, and that is the BD uh, eligibility, which basically states that if you have your, your caregiving or your school's out and you're required to take care of the kids or an elderly person because of course COVID and you have nobody else to take care of them. So maybe you are required to alternate with your wife or you're working reduced hours at work and uh, that would be the eligibility criteria you would check off and would pay. So other than that, there is other, no other. Now, so the solution that they, uh, that I said that I see and, and they agree are the only two that I saw from my end was that, uh, of course, Congress could turn around and pass an amendment to fix this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that's where, um, you know, I'm trying to get our Congressman uh, St. Nicholas, who is working with us, and who's trying to also work a fix, uh, and has written a letter to the Biden administration, uh, you know, expressing the, with along with 10 other senators or congressmen, that uh, they also can you know, consider this a major issue and, and a detriment to their uh, territory or state. So. I, I was getting him to understand that uh, there is an amendment, and uh, it wasn't until just fairly recently, a couple of days ago, that I found out that in the Senate, uh, Senator Schum- Schumer and uh, Wyden actually, in their own bill, which was Bill 4771, put in Section 303, which was a clarification to access of the pandemic uh, unemployment assistance program through reduced staff hours and uh, and operation that and, that, and, and if I might add these are these are not two inconsequential senators Senator Chuck Schumer is no. the majority leader of the Senate and Senator Ron Wyden I believe is, is the incoming chairman of the Senate Finance Committee uh, so you know when they when they speak this this thing matters here and as a matter of fact I'm glad you're making this distinction um, uh, David, between uh, what are the constraints are in the current federal um, policy and the f- this federal program, and what um, 
what you're doing in, uh, at the direction of Governor Leon Guerrero and Lieutenant Governor Tenorio to actually overcome this. this is act- current, the Leon Guerrero administration policy is actually for to broaden this to include reduced workers, is it not? Yes, and, it is. And working and, with uh, our working correct. with our congressman is, is to try to achieve what can o- the, to do this, which can only be done on the uh, on the federal level. So, um, e- given that situation, um, and by the way, if anyone wants to join the conversation, you can call in at four seven seven fifty seven fifty seven. That's four seven seven fifty seven fifty seven. If you have any questions for the uh, Labor Department Director uh, David Del Sol on the pool program or any other issue uh, uh, before his department, so where where do we stand now I- exactly here with the uh, with the pool program aside from the reduced? Um, uh, work hours. In, in, in part, there was a, a legislation passed uh, late, late, late last year uh, to extend the program. And then in our previous conversations with you, uh, uh, David, you were um, uh, still working to, to uh, get uh, uh, an understanding from federal officials who were trying to figure this out themselves about how to apply the new, the new statute here. And uh, uh, although you had, uh, you painted a, a fairly um, uh, substantive pictures to what we are proceeding forward. A lot of it was dependent upon this ongoing clarifications that are coming out of Washington. So uh, since our last meeting here, what, is, what has become clearer, uh, at least from your perspective, as to how what we have uh, uh, with regard to the pool program and, and what the, the outstanding uh, 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 bridge program was, was called LSA or LWA? LWA, yes. So where do we stand okay. with respect to those two programs which are, okay. are still active? So uh, uh, we've already made our first payment under the new program, and that was uh, over $20 million. And that program, we were ahead of most states. We've, uh, uh, we are up to the current week that when we batched it, uh, two Tuesdays ago, uh, and, uh, we are moving full steam. We're paying the LWA. Of course, that is only through the latter part of July uh, month uh, weeks. So you mean people? That is doing sorry, David. Before we those people we, that are filing this claim. Before we, yeah. we get it, when you say through the period of July, then I mean, in other words, claims filed for loss of jobs up to the July of 2020. Is that what you're saying? That what that program so covers? That LWA was the Trump addition uh, uh, through FEMA. Right. And that was only a six week program that uh, was basically the middle of July till the beginning of August, something around there. Okay. You know, so, you know, of course you had to, so those new claimants that are filing and going back to that date, Mm -hmm. that was before the new PUA program put in are getting paid for those. Uh, Now that we're past the 26th or 27th of uh, December, all new claimants can only go back to December first. Now, just so claimants on the, the LWA, LWA David. I'm sorry. Reduce, yeah. Just, just as I just, I'm mean, excuse me for interrupting, just to make sure that we're clear with the listening audience here. So, that you're tearing up to December, um, uh, up to December first. These are claimants for the LWA program. No, this is all PUA. PUA program. And, so that's and, uh, yes. Okay, so you so, can only go back now to December first under the new PUA program before. 
all new claimants that filed before December 27th can go back all the way to January 31st or to the date that they were first affected. So for uh, the LWP programs, it's only up to the end of July if they lost a job during that period. For yeah. claimants for the pool program, it's only up to December 1st if they've lost a job from December 1st or afterwards. Uh, I, help me with this one more uh, one more factoid you've given us. You've said you've made the first payment of $20 million. This is this is payment under PUA? This is payment under PUA, and this is the new FPUC that, that came into play uh, after the 27th, and this was the LWA. So you can see there's oh, three okay, okay. that, yeah. were, pro- that, da- David, were, that David, were batching. David, and, I uh, have to, sorry yeah. to interrupt you. We, we had this sort of moment like several months ago when we started doing it. So, uh, I, again, I, we just have to... Um, uh, be clear with the uh, listening audience about what's yeah. what's meant by things. So, what is you've mentioned? Uh, we've had the LWA, we have the pool program, and then you've just mentioned the the FPOC program. So, perhaps you could yeah. clarify what that is. The the, the FPOC, if you remember, was uh, was an added benefit of six hundred dollars, and that started uh, beginning of April, and it expired in the middle of July. Okay. And the pool program is the 345. That is a 39-week program, and its eligibility period is from the end of January up until the 27th of December of for last 39 year. weeks. Okay. And uh, then the LWA was a six-week program that followed right after the expiration of the FPUC in the middle of July and went for six weeks, which was... Uh, Add six weeks onto that. So again, and that again, was just a quick added benefit that Trump put in. Okay, just to make sure we understand here, the OWA program, and we say six weeks is six weeks of payments, right? Yes. And when you tell tell about the uh, the um, pool program, you say thirty nine weeks is thirty nine weeks of payments. Yes. Right. And and, and this uh, and and so whoever eligible weeks. Yes. Huh, excuse me. Yes. Thirty-nine so, weeks of eligible weeks that you file because everybody was affected at a different time. Sure, I mean a lot of people, of course, uh, was affected on March sixteenth when we shut down. So but some businesses closed different. Some during the second shutdown in uh, the middle of August. Uh, you know, there were, our second shutdown, there was more businesses and that closed and opened. So whenever the the date that you were first affected you had up to 39 weeks of payments until the end of December, uh, and then they passed the new continuous... So when, uh, when you say their, your first payment of $20 million, that is, your, that is a, like a weekly amount payment on the pool program? That was... Uh, what comprised the that $20 million? payment before that was up to December 19th. Okay. So we had one week of the old PUA, uh-huh. and then we, we batched... Um, two weeks, uh, I'm sorry, to January 19th. Mm-hmm. Uh, geez, I'm making sure I got my dates right. There's so many dates. Yes. And so much, <laughs> <laughs> so complicated. And, yes. Uh, 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 I literally went from work to this. So uh, but, I, I, but, but I, in uh, any event, if I can summarize, but before event, we get bogged we, down we, the we dates here. a couple weeks more from the night, from uh, the old, one week of the old pool program and a two weeks of the new PUA extension program. Yeah, so basically that's what that first payment is. That's, that's checks that went out to thousands of people based on both programs. And, yeah. uh, and uh, which is important, uh, not only to the lives of these individuals receiving these payments, but also the economy. That is, a, again, another $20 million injected into Guam's economy. 
yeah. which vitally needed considering the collapse of the tourism component of the uh, of the economy. And uh, for for uh, um, those who um, don't appreciate it, Guam is a wage economy. If the, if if money is not flowing into the hands of working people and working families here. Uh, then it's not an input to our economy. It's just a you know goes 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 in and out. So you know, like a lot of the um, the numbers given for tourism, uh, they don't necessarily re- reflect money injecting the economy. Sometimes it's like you know spend in Japan and pay to other people in Japan, and some of that money reaches to Guam, but it's not exactly inputs into into um, into Guam's economy. This one is placed in the hands. Of working people, uh, working families in Guam, that are that take that money and use to pay their bills uh, at at markets and, and stores and, and and small businesses and uh, and eateries throughout the island and pay for those services and so which support a lot of private sector business that is dependent upon uh, the income of working families and so this is a very crucial part of. Um, uh, not only maintaining um, uh, the uh, the strength of our economy, but, but presenting a foundation to build upon it here. Um, David, we're now like in the last nine minutes of uh, this segment here. Uh, so is there anything that, uh, and I would thank you for the uh, coming, uh, going there to clarify this whole business about reduced hours and where they stand here, is uh, I'm going to give you the mic for these uh, last few minutes here to to um, convey what imparts some information that you uh, feel was a uh, uh, that the people of Guam need to hear, and uh, particularly our listening audience, and uh, what we have to, to look forward to moving forward. I should point out, um, by the way, uh, that um, the ability to um, to sort of move things in D.C. Uh, in part by some of the shenanigans going on there. Uh, in the uh, Senator Schumer and Senator Wyden have been pushing for this amendment for reduced hours. A lot of the business has been held up because of some nonsense by uh, Republican Minority Leader Mitch McConnell to hold up the inter- work of the Senate uh, over uh, to try and extract some promises in the filibuster. Uh, I mean, but that whole deal kind of collapsed. Uh, also, this is like the Biden administration is like six days into it right now. And although a number of the cabinet has been confirmed, including Secretary of Treasury and Secretary of Defense, uh, the bulk of the cabinet has not been confirmed. In particular, uh, Secretary of Labor designate Marty Walsh, who was the mayor of Boston uh, and has come out of the labor union movement and uh, certainly will be, uh, we can count on to be a, a sympathetic uh, 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 voice and uh, uh, to attention to the plight of working people. So situations like the uh, the uh, reduce our workers afflicted with not a complete loss of job but reduced hours, I think that will be one of his um, his uh, his first priorities uh, uh, once he's confirmed uh, by the Senate. In the meantime, I, I you know there is um, I, I forgot to check the list of the person who's acting labor secretary. They're usually some career civil servant. They're just sort of maintaining until the uh, new secretary of labor is confirmed by the Senate, and that is sort of uh, one of the issues to work with with the. Uh, uh, with uh, Governor Leon and Lieutenant Governor Tenorio's uh, efforts to uh, to work with the incoming Biden administration, is that six days in, they're still uh, kind of getting uh, getting settled. So, with that, and we're now at uh, seven minutes less in the segment. So, anything you would like to impart to the listening audience, yeah, David? Yeah, and I'll keep it simple. That uh, I, I'm still asking everybody that have reduced hours not to file, to hold off filing their claims. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I came up with two solutions, one for the amendment, which could be added to the uh, to the Biden bill. The other one is the Secretary of Labor 
does have the power to add that in as an eligibility if he so chooses. But, but, we, but we need a Secretary is, uh, of Labor first, that right, needs David? To be in place, and but, he needs to have a clear understanding. And I don't know whether, I don't know what the odds are for either one of those two. But, All I but, can do but, is David, tell you those are the fixes. Yes, but if just to mention, if you're getting your second solution, in order for the Secretary of Labor to to act, we need a Secretary of Labor. And yeah. at the moment here, um, the designee Marty Walsh, the mayor of Boston, is still pending Senate action. So I just want to yeah. mention that framework yeah. here. Yeah. So go ahead. But uh, so you know, I did was I was able to come up with two possible solutions. Mm-hmm. The how viable they are is really you know to the congressman and to the secretary, and, and that's why, uh, you know, I'm working with the governor, and she's, you know, going to lobby with the Biden. I, I know the, uh, the congressman is also lobbying, so it's in their hand. And in the meanwhile, until I get a yay, a solid yay or a nay, hold off, because if it's a nay and you file, then you would be subject to an overpayment. And that's the last thing I wanna do, is make you have to pay anything back. But in the meanwhile, those who are unemployed, we're going to batch again this Tuesday, and we will be staying fairly current and being paying on a regular every two-week basis. And uh, we are looking forward to opening the, the libraries at Dedido and one in Jotnia. And uh, right now, they're by appointment. But uh, now that we're in PCOR 2, we might start taking walk-ins. So look forward to that announcement. And uh, we continue to, my number one priority, of course, is to get the money out, and we're gonna keep doing that. And then my second priority is to, of course, resolve this, reduce our situation one way or another. Uh, I've taken it as far as I can take it, and now it's up to uh, whether or not, you have to remember, passing this has a price tag, mm-hmm. you know, because not only will it be for Guam, but it also be for the other states and territories. So everything that has a price tag has a negotiation component to it. And um, that's something that, you know, is not in my pay grade to understand that whole dynamic. But uh, other than that, uh, just keep uh, an eye out and uh, for announcements, as there's a lot of notifications and uh, things that, uh, that come in the, the second of the PUA program, and we'll be putting those things out and advertising. and. Uh, I just keep moving forward and keeping the money flowing for us. Oh, thank you. Thank you, David, for coming on the show. And, and we'll have you back later on uh, for, a, for a matter that is, is a, of ongoing interest to our listening audience and to, uh, and to the people of Guam. So, but keep on at it, David. You have a big, um, you have a big uh, uh, job to do and an immense burden on your shoulders. And, and I know that, that what touches you is to is the knowledge of how many uh, working people and working families depend on what you do. And to do it right, you know, so the feds don't, don't you know, uh, halt the program or the taxpayers don't pay it back, or then to make sure uh, things are conducted as within federal guidelines as, 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 they, as they should. And that, to, as, as you found, uh, or as has been evident, um, the, to do this right t- takes not just only administering the program, but also leadership. Uh, in explaining the program t- uh, to clearly what the, the facts, pleasant or unpleasant as they may be, uh, to the people of Guam. And, um, and certainly that's, that's what you've uh, done uh, from the very beginning here, including giving advice to people about how 
uh, to approach this issue. So again, thank you, David Lasol, for joining the program. David, my friend, we'll have you back uh, when you when maybe we when we get a new Secretary of Labor, and and the landscape may change again. Well, I appreciate you allowing me to come on and, and keep the public informed. Thanks, okay. Tyrone. Thank you. That was David Lozola, Director of the Guam Department of Labor. Uh, with this is the Data Hub with Tyrone Titano. My name is Tyrone Titano. I'm Director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, and we broadcast live on Newstalk K57 and 96.5 FM. We're also streaming on pncguam.com, on k57.com, and also live on Facebook at Newstalk K57. There's also simulcasts on GTA Channel 3 and Docomo Channel 2. Uh, after the upcoming news, we're going to have an um, uh, uh, next guest, Kalali Angarel, who's the Chief Advisor to the Governor on Military and Regional Affairs. And we're going to discuss some of the uh, new actions of the uh, Biden administration. They did a flurry of executive orders. And also the um, uh, key appointments uh, have, been, uh, have been made. Uh, some of them confirmed, uh, like the Secretary of Defense, and then some are still pending. Uh, like the Direct Ministry of FEMA, all positions that are very important um, to Guam and Guam's future. And so we'll be discussing uh, some of the actions of the Biden administration, some of these appointees, uh, as we, uh, uh, right after the CBS Radio News, as we head to the top of the hour. And so uh, with that, let's see, there used to be a music cue going up to the CBS Radio News. And so um, I think they were going to put on uh, emerged by Fisher Spooner. It's, it's a band from 2001. Ah, there we go. Uh, so I'll let you uh, enjoy the music as we go into the glide path to the CBS Radio News at the top of the hour. See you on the other side. Guam is News Talk K57. This is CBS News on the Hour, your home for original reporting. I'm Jennifer Kuyper in Chicago. Former President Trump will be tried for impeachment by the Senate starting the week of February 8th. CBS's Skyler Henry. The House of Representatives officially delivered an article of impeachment to the Senate on Monday evening. It accuses former President Trump of inciting insurrection on January 6th when a crowd of supporters stormed the Capitol. Wherefore, Donald John Trump, by such conduct, has demonstrated that he will remain a threat to national security, democracy, and the Constitution. The move automatically triggers a second Senate trial for the former president. A tornado has touched down just north of Birmingham, Alabama. The mayor of Fultondale says there are reports of minor injuries and some people trapped in their homes. Also, buildings, power lines, and trees have been downed across Jefferson County. This as a snowstorm stretches from Nebraska to Michigan. After weeks of bad news regarding COVID-19, illnesses, and restrictions, California Governor Gavin Newsom says... All regions effective immediately are no longer in the stay-at-home order. Moderna says it appears that its COVID vaccine provides protection against emergency emerging variants, but as a precaution, it's beginning testing to see if a booster shot would improve that protection. 
AstraZeneca Oxford also making a similar move. CBS News medical contributor Dr. David Agus tells us the variants were expected. Each of the pharmaceutical companies will start in the development process and then production and then we'll go into quick clinical trials to show safety and then these can be added to the current vaccines. We will not stop vaccinating against the original strain because that is obviously present across the globe. President Biden lifts the transgender military ban. Alfonso David, president of the Human Rights Campaign, applauds the decision. It is now the policy of the United States to ensure that all transgender individuals who wish to serve in the United States military and can meet the appropriate standards should be able to do so openly and free from discrimination. Today marks the one-year anniversary of basketball star Kobe Bryant's death in a helicopter crash that also killed eight others. CBS's Steve Futterman says there are still no conclusive answers about what caused that crash. From the start, investigators have believed the poor weather conditions and very possibly pilot error or disorientation played a key role. On that same day, some other pilots chose to alter their flight plans. Some questions, of course, will never be answered. There's no way to know for sure exactly what the pilot was thinking. The National Transportation Safety Board is expected to issue its findings on a probable cause on February 9th. This is CBS News. Politics, policy, and pop culture with CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. The Takeout, weekends on the CBS Radio Network. Do you check your Google search results regularly? You should. People often get their first impression of you or your business online. Negative comments on the Internet can impact your life and your livelihood. Take control of your online reputation. Get your free reputation report card at reputationdefender.com. It may reveal negative posts from an ex-employee, upset patient or client, news article, legal issue, or even exposed personal information right there in your Google search results. Uncover what's lurking on the Internet about you with reputationdefender.com's patented scan and get your free reputation report card. Or for immediate assistance with your reputation, call 800-401-6681. Our cutting-edge technology helps make your Google search results look their best. Call 800-401-6681. That's 800-401-6681. 800-401-6681. Or take the free scan at reputationdefender.com. The Miami Heat are bringing back some fans with help from dogs. The Heat will use coronavirus-sniffing dogs in American Airlines Arena to screen fans who want to attend their games. They've been working on the plan for months, and the highly trained dogs have been in place for some games this season where the team has allowed a handful of guests, mostly friends and family of players and staff. Starting this week, a limited number of ticket holders will be in the seats as well, provided they get past the dogs first. Fans arriving will be brought to a screening area, and the detection dogs will walk past. If the dog keeps going, the fan is cleared. If the dog sits, that is a sign it detects the virus, and the fan will be denied entry. Matt Piper, CBS News. Republican Senator Rob Portman of Ohio says he won't seek re-election in 2022 and plans to end a career in federal government spanning more than three decades. The 65-year-old Portman cited a political climate that has made it, quote, harder to break through the partisan gridlock and make progress. Jennifer Kuyper, CBS News. 
Cindy and her husband felt stuck paying annual fees on their timeshare. But what could they do? We tried to sell it, but no results. No results at all. Then they called Newton Group, and that's when things really started to happen. We got a call within days. We never felt like they forgot us because we would get updates along the way. Before long, they were free and clear. We signed up with Newton Group in August, and it was a done deal by January. And how's Cindy now? We're very happy with Newton Group. It was a very, very uh, positive experience for us, and we highly recommend them. And we are looking forward to not having to pay the $1,500 a year. Do what Cindy did. Call Newton Group for your free consultation and free consumer's guide to timeshare exit. Call 877-TOP-EXIT. That's 877-TOP-EXIT. Newton Group has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, so call them at 877-TOP-EXIT or visit newtonexit.com today. Brain Food mm. Your talk, your station, News Talk K57 The views expressed on this show belong to the show host, guests, and callers and do not represent Sorensen Media Group in any way, shape, or form. This show serves in the public's interest and SMG reserves the right to maintain control of the show as to keep within the guidelines of the FCC. If you have any comments or complaints, you can contact SMG. At SMG, we strive to present the best product we can. We value your opinion, and we thank you so much for listening and tuning in to News Talk K57. Director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, and welcome back to our next segment. You know, in the last few weeks, um, particularly in their show right before New Year's, I wish everybody a happy New Year, and there were all these national events that keep on happening in between shows, and uh, just tumultuous things, including the January 6th insurrection with a mob storm the Capitol, resulting in the death of five people, including a Capitol Police officer, uh, then after after that, um, Donald Trump for the um, became... Um, uh, the first president in American history to impeach, be impeached not just once, but twice by two separate Congresses uh, for his role in inciting that riot. Um, and then, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned, I'm sure God knows what we're going to see in the following week here. And, uh, and uh, in, the, uh, in the week since the, the last program here, uh, the, um, uh, Trump is, uh, has left office, but his impeachment trial continues today. The House managers, so seven, have presented uh, the um, impe- charges of impeachment to the Senate, and his trial is expected to begin uh, around February eighth. Um, 
But of course, what also happened in the intervening besides, besides, you know, an insurrection of the Capitol building and, and, and another impeachment and the beginning of a Senate trial for Donald Trump, we have also the uh, inauguration of Joseph Biden Jr. as president and Kamala Harris as vice president. And uh, so at this juncture, it's probably because so much of federal policy has uh, really uh, a, uh, an important impact on Guam. Uh, we're supposed to spend this segment here, and I'll be joined shortly by Kalalian Guerrero, the uh, chief um, advisor to Governor Lulian Guerrero for military and regional affairs, to discuss uh, all the momentous changes that are happening in Washington with the incoming Biden-Harris administration, and what some of these changes mean uh, for us here on Guam. Uh, some have a, have a, of, uh, a, a huge impact, uh, but there always is some impact because we are all part of the same nation. So joining us is Carlotta Langaro. Carlotta, are you there? Thank you for uh, inviting me to your show, Ty. Well, you know, you and I talk about this stuff all the time, so I figured let, <laughs> let, let, let not get a good discussion go, go to waste here and, uh, and, and share it with our listening audience. And so uh, what, I, what I'd want, propose to do, by the way, if anyone has any questions or comments here, you'll be, um, you can call in at 477-5757. That's 477-5757. We are broadcast live on News Talk K57 and, and 96.5 FM and simulcast on GTA Channel 3 and Docomo Channel 2. And a podcast of this uh, uh, program will be available uh, later, later this evening, uh, posted at k57.com. And subsequent to that, posted on the social media pages of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. That's the uh, Bureau BSP's own Facebook page, also for uh, a separate uh, Facebook page for the Coral Reef Initiative, which the Bureau administers, and also the Coastal Management Program, which is also administered by the Bureau. And uh, so, just to sort of get this started, uh, Carlotta, let's go, let's do the people thing. Let's see okay. what's, uh, who the administration is is, is bringing on. Now, so far, there have been, um, there the um, there have been a number of, um, of, uh, of whether he's appointed, he's been put nominated his entire cabinet. Uh, some of them uh, have already been confirmed, um, including the Director of uh, National Intelligence, uh, Avril Haines, and also Secretary of Treasury, uh, Janet Yellen, um, who was the first female to, I think, to hold that job. Uh, but also the Secretary of Defense, uh, Lloyd J. Austin III, uh, who is a retired four star Army general. And uh, he's been. Uh, uh, he's been, I guess, just a few days ago, was confirmed as, as Secretary of Defense. He's previously served as, uh, as the commander of CENTCOM, and he is the first, uh, he was not only the first black commander of CENTCOM, he is now the first black Secretary of Defense. Um, uh, and of course, you know, given the uh, impact of um, the military um, the presence in Guam, the, is- the issues regarding the military buildup, that is an ingoing pr- uh, process here. Um, it's... It, he is probably one of the more consequential appoint, appointees uh, in, uh, in terms of an agency that has a huge impact on Guam, an agency that owns about one-third of the island. Um, and so, uh, Carlotta, with the new leadership in, um, in the Secretary of Defense, and, in, and of course, it's, he's just a few days old, so uh, what other sort of issues did you believe that um, uh, Governor Langer wants to uh, uh, Bring up before the the uh, Defense Department and before Secretary Austin uh, regarding the military buildup on Guam. What are the sort of the outstanding issues we'd like to see some progress on? Well, I think that um, one of the big things that the governor has been pushing for lately is the return of excess lands. Mm-hmm. Um, we she submitted a list for twenty six hundred acres um, about a year ago, and um, we're uh, 
we received back about 140-some acres and about 6,000 acres of submerged land. So the governor is going to go at it again and um, ask for justification on why they turned down some of that land. But she's preparing another list of 461 acres. So I think the governor is very committed to getting back as much land as possible. We've had different conversations and uh, part of the reason of getting land back is it's a way of stopping continued military growth. If you get land back from them that they are not using now, it keeps them from using it um, uh, down the road. So that's part of the strategy of containing uh, the buildup to the size that it is now by uh, restricting future growth um, by limiting their, their land resources. Uh, the new secretary, Lloyd Austin, I did some research on him, didn't waste any time. Um, just a few days ago, he had a phone conversation with the Japanese defense minister, Nobuo Kishi, and um, they talked about the need to continue with the um, uh, Pacific Initiative's Indo-PACOM region and the realignment of forces. So without saying Guam, the realignment of forces out of Japan uh, in this part of the world mean, means Guam. And Japan has a big role of the $8.7 billion that's going to be spent on the buildup. $3.4 billion of it is Japan. So we have the Secretary of Defense reiterating his support for that buildup. And so your question was, what is the governor going to be pushing for the most? And I think, uh, I would say excess land is right at the top of her, her list. She's got other things, but that would be, that that's, I, I would think that's one of the top uh, items on her list. And Austin has been moving on a number of fronts, including demanding uh, reports on uh, on uh, on sexual harassment, I believe, from all the commands to get a good, full assessment of what has been a growing problem in the, um, in the U.S. military. Um, so that's a, that's a hopeful note on that point. But, of course, one of the agencies that have uh, an ongoing uh, central role, aside from the Defense Department, is the Interior Department, since the NCAA yes. is fall yes. on the Department of Interior. And we're, yes. aging, we're entering to an, an interesting era as President Biden's appointee uh, to um, uh, our nominee for a Secretary of Interior is Deb Haaland, a, who is a, a representative from uh, New Mexico and is a Native American. And so in a department that has a lot of jurisdiction over indigenous people, indigenous people from, uh, uh, from Native Americans, indigenous people from the territories, here, like here in the Marianas and American Samoa, uh, and it would be an interesting to uh, see the development of somebody who has been an activist for indigenous people's causes he is now in charge of a, um, a department that, uh, that is central to American policy for, ind for indigenous people. And so that would be, um, that's quite a, uh, 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 something to look forward to. Now, like most of the, the cabinet, uh, I understand the Biden administration is six, in, six days in, um, Deb Halen has not been confirmed. Uh, in her position, and it's actually uh, the acting interior secretary is a guy named Scott, Scott De La Vega, who was a, I believe, a career interior department employee who's holding down the fort. Uh, so interesting use of well, that, you know, use of that icon iconography about a Native American um, secretary of interior. Um, but yes, yeah, Deb uh, Holland, and one of the things that's very interesting about her is that um, her mother is Native American and her father is Norwegian ancestry. That's mm -hmm. why she's got that last name. But um, she was a military brat. Her, mm. her dad was in the Marines, and um, she uh, went to 13 different schools 
um, because her dad was going from base to base. So I think that uh, in in addition to being um, uh, um, uh, an indigenous person, uh, I think that also being uh, the daughter of a Marine and a military brat, mm-hmm. um, I think that brings additional background and understanding. I really like that uh, President Biden's picks so far are really way inclusive and bringing so many different perspectives of people into the decision making uh, and and governing process. So um, what what is interesting about interior is that right now um, the the negotiations as you are aware, Ty and I mm-hmm. are the top two people for the governor at Leon Guerrero Tenorio administration on dealing with compact issues and um, the the two entities dealing with the compact renegotiations is the is State Department and Interior. And so I was trying to figure out if that's going to continue. And I talked with some folks at Interior, and they said that normally it's just State that negotiates the, these arrangements. But Interior um, was co-chaired of this past year, the last year of President Trump. And so... Um, I was wondering, uh, I would have a conversation with you and we would talk with the governor, like, should we recommend to the governor that she write a letter in support of Interior Mm -hmm. um, having a role in co-chairing the negotiations? Because uh, I think State Department might know Micronesia, but Interior really knows us and our issues. State doesn't know our issues as much as Interior does, so I don't know what your thoughts are on. I'm just breaking that to you right now. Well, it's an it's an it's an interesting thing. A number of issues to to, to try and achieve some progress on that have not um, moved um, moved uh, moved forward in, under the previous administration. And hopefully, one of, one of the values of having a diverse cabinet that uh, reflects America, that looks like America, is that you have people who, who whom can understand the position of people of people who are not necessarily close to the center of power like peoples on the territories who are not who you know who are basically governed by a by a pre, uh, by a president we, we we didn't elect and the congress we didn't vote in and judges picked by the president we didn't elect and on congress we have no vote in so um I, and and i'm sure uh, uh, coming uh, native americans coming from the whole tragic history of the uh, of the uh, of the reservations will understand uh, that frustration. Um, uh, uh, you raise a good thing about compact impact. At the moment, uh, we're in the process of using an, a grant actually from the Interior Department to redo the methodology that used to calculate compact impact in order to strengthen our case uh, to get an adequate um, uh, compensation for the impact of the compacts of free association, which are, again, under negotiation now for renewal. Uh, those are one of the um, uh, most serious, outstanding issues uh, with with Interior, and uh, hope to work for them to resolve these issues. I I, I also uh, con, uh, going on the issue of, of grants here. I mean, there's an interesting timing coming up on, in the Office of Insular Affairs. There is a, um, a number of programs for the um, uh, for the insular areas, and particularly the territories. One in particular is the. Uh, technical assistance program grants, which has been right. used for a number of things. We were using a grant right now to redo the copying methodology. It's been used to fund for the Household Income and Expenditure Survey, which is an important part, a component of maintaining the current consumer price index and vital economic uh, statistics. There is also another grant which the um, uh, which the Bureau got in uh, in order to uh, uh, update uh, the uh, and automate the uh, 
the inputs uh, at customs uh, from uh, from uh, bills of ladings from uh, shipping and, and companies, which is important not only to gather data but also to improve the the uh, the law enforcement and the uh, the border uh, defense role of the Customs and Quarantine Agency. These are funded by uh, technical assistance program grants. Uh, the de the deadline for the new cycle is coming up in a month on March first, and some of the decisions that. Uh, uh, Claude and I have to make, along with some and several other agencies, is to identify um, what uh, grants to go for, and so under serious considerations, the number of grants that have gone, um, that have been turned down previously here, there is a whole package of grants that um, grant applications that the bureau submitted last year to deal with issues of sustainability and uh, in terms of support the zero waste program and recycling here, and they were not successful. It's a competitive program. But it's our hope uh, that if we resubmit them there under, um, under it may be received a more sympathetic uh, ear by an administration that cares about sustainability, right. you know, uh, rather than disparage it, uh, that accepts uh, the, the importance of, the, of coping with the issues, uh, challenges of climate change, instead of denying that it exists. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take um, another stab at it um, and prepare these grant applications for March. Uh, for the March 1st deadline. Again, it's a competitive process from all the insular areas, and uh, we'll see how far how far that one gets. And so, mm -hmm. if if between now and then, uh, Deb Halen is actually confirmed, and if you now March 1st as Secretary of the Interior, as she is likely to be, uh, then uh, we will have another person to uh, who understands our situation to uh, appeal to for support uh, on this issue. Uh, another uh, avenue here, just. Um, um, uh, who is, um, uh, by the way, if anyone again wants to join the conversation, our number is 477-5757, 477-5757. Another cabinet official that struck out to me is the incoming Secretary of Commerce, uh, Gina Raimondo. Um, one of the agencies under the Commerce Department, there's a couple of things under the Commerce Department that's a particular interest to me. One is the Economic Development Administration. Uh, which hands out grants for uh, uh, particularly COVID-19 recovery. Uh, there have been a number of uh, pending grant applications uh, uh, pursued by the administration uh, with varying degrees of success um, to address issues, for example, in, in flooding in Marizzo and to, uh, to uh, funding for a, 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 a study of, uh, for the repositioning, rebranding, and Guam as a tourist destination. That's important for COVID-19 recovery. And, and, and a number of other things before before um, the Economic Development Administration here. And the the incoming Secretary of Commerce, who has uh, been nominated by President Biden, but not confirmed, is Gina Raimondo, who is a, a female Democratic governor of Rhode Island. And so uh, as, well, isn't, isn't, the, isn't that interesting? Who else has a female Democratic governor of an island? And uh, the two of them met at the um, at uh, at the National Governors Association. So uh, we're hoping to um, capitalize yeah, on that really, yeah. yeah, capitalize on that relationship, and possibly uh, get progress in that. The other thing is, you know, Ty, if I could just sure. uh, interrupt right there, uh, mm -hmm. just for a moment. I don't think uh, I don't know if your listeners are aware of uh, how important it is when our governor and lieutenant governor participate in National Governor Association events or Lieutenant National Lieutenant Governor Association mm -hmm. events. And um, the kind of friendships and relationships that you make in these meetings. I remember when Hillary Clinton came to Guam as the First Lady, 
and she was telling us how Governor Ricky Berdalio and um, uh, then-Governor uh, Bill Clinton had been the best of friends at the National Governors Association. And, and that wasn't and, hard to uh, imagine, was it? If you knew Ricky and you observed President Clinton, that wasn't hard to imagine that they would hit that up. You know, this is, that one, that was kind of a vivid uh, uh, picture, mm-hmm. but, yeah. So but I think it's a great place because um, so many times um, governors uh, become cabinet members and often governors become presidents. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, that's one of the advantages of participating in these events. And um, so it's entirely possible. Did you say that Gina Raimondo knows uh, Governor Leon Guerrero? Well, I, I, know, I, know they, I, know, I know they met at, uh, before everything got shut down in 2020. Mm-hmm. There was there were there were meetings that the governor attended with the National Governor Association, and the Democratic Governors Association. So right. you know it, it's a, and it's um, and it's and given that they were both um, uh, elected female governor, probably the first female governors in their states and territories, or t- that uh, there was a basis in which to talk to. Anyway, any connection is is good. Yeah. In order to um, in order to yeah. uh, to to uh, deal with these issues now. Especially far away we have to work harder we have to make these relationships and then once we make a friend never let go of them whether they want us to or not right and and the other thing that the commerce department handles is the census uh huh. And you just as the census, as you know, a, 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 a program well done, John, that's that's coming. Oh, thank you very much. And 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 as I like to say, one of the great perks of being director of an agency like the Brio is you get to receive compliments for the hard work of a lot of other people. And certainly, <laughs> uh, uh, Bernie Guinness and his crew did um, not didn't only do an excellent job. It took they did a job that the people of Guam could take pride in. It was done effectively and efficiency. Now, having said that, though, the, um, the, the, the census uh, is, it remains a matter of, of national controversy here. And you remember there was, there was this mad rush. Well, first of all, there was sup- the Supreme Court case over the issue of whether to include the citizen corruption on, on the uh, census or not. And the Commerce Department lost that case because it was revealed that it was a Republican uh, plot uh, to actually uh, gin the census so he would undercount Hispanic votes in order to uh, increase the uh, Republican political prospects. And so the Supreme Court, given that, is being ordered then uh, to delete the, um, uh, the citizenship question that was previously on the ballot. And now, in that case, there was a mad rush to actually complete the census a month before everybody in the census said they needed to do so here. And they sort of lost that one in court. But even so, the disruptions are there is a is a um, there is a, a major push to redo segments of the of the uh, census because people are concerned that given this rush and the disruptions, that it was, did not properly count on people here. So I, I uh, so I've I've discussed the matter with my staff to raise a prospect which and, and it's interesting to look to see the look and terror in their eyes <laughs> that that we may have to revisit them because they they put through many many hours. Uh, to do this, particularly the staff of Bureau of Statistics and Plans. So that's one of those issues which incoming Secretary of Commerce Raimundo um, mm. is going to deal with. One of the first executive orders, by the way, that President Biden uh, signed to law was to, um, uh, to reverse a decision by the Trump administration to try to not count on document residents. You know, usually the historically uh, role of the census is to count the people who are living there. Right. They even counted people who were not who were not citizens. They counted slaves. 
for like the first century of, of American existence. Mm-hmm. Now, based on a constitutional amendment, they only count as three-first the person, but, you know, they counted all, they were living there, so they counted them. Right, right. And, and now, now they, they're, and these people who are um, uh, there now here, you know, and it's, it's just a blatant political move to undermine uh, democratic prospects. I, 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 I also want to say one, just tangentially, is that the other thing executive order President Biden signing was to protect the uh, the the dreamers, the DACA uh, recipients. Mm-hmm. These were people who were their parents moved here, and they were born here, uh, but um, but uh, because they they've never gotten the citizenships, people who knows no other lives than living in the United States of America were on the block and threatened to be uh, deported back. Well, that's all gone now. You know. You know, I have to say, I could never really understand. Um, how President Trump could not have more compassion for this issue, knowing that I believe that his his mother came from um, Ireland or Europe somewhere, New- and his Norway wife or something also like that. came from uh, Slovenia. So his 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 mother and his well, wife were immigrants, and it's just I never could understand how um, he couldn't use his own personal experience to see how. They benefited, or they enriched, or they brought something. Well, I'm going to I'm uh, say the quiet the part. Their I'm going to say their efforts, or uh, I never understood his lack yeah. of compassion on it. Yeah, well, I'm going to say the quiet part out loud. And the difference is, is that those are white people, and the people that he was trying to harm in uh, mm. the system were, were non-white people here. And let us not forget, because of the cruelty of this pre- of former president and his people here, 600 babies have been orphaned. Because they snatch them out of their, their parents' arms, deport them to the country, and now they can't find the parents. Mm. And so there's that's 600 right. orphans. To be, that's, that's definitely, now, I am so sure that uh, this administration is going to Well, we now, we, well they have the task to try and found them. It, now they have the task to try and found them. They're not as if they, they know where they are. The, the, the private sector lawyers are not being found. There is a renewed push to find them. But this is what? The previous administration did, and and and, and people ask why would they go through exercise wall. My my feeling is that cruelty was part of the point mm. that they wanted to hurt non-white people, and this is a way to do it legally. And so far, 600, 600 children are orphans because of the cruelty of this pre- previous administration and their enablers. So, and I think for no other justification is racist. Now we have one caller in. Uh, Average Joe, are you there? Average, Hello. yes. Welcome to the program. Okay, so you want to share uh, an opinion? Your on name this? is Tyrone, right? Yes, it is. Okay, so um, okay, you, you you touch on a lot of issues. Mm. It's, it's not unusual. A lot of radio programs have they touch on multiple issues uh, mm. uh, in a very short amount of time. Uh, now, the reason I caught up was. That uh, you're talking initially when I when I, when I tune in, you're talking about the, the COFA countries, the Compact Impact. Yes, yeah. A- and uh, and, I, and I've brought this up before, possibly even with I think your 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 guest is uh, uh, former Senator Carlotta with the other girl. Yes, who is chief advisor okay. to the governor on regional issues, including this one, and so she covers okay. this issue as long as, so as, long as the bureau. I think I've, I've brought this up before mm-hmm. that I truly believe the the. The concept, the idea of all the, every single one of these COFA countries, right? We've had a, that they've had a relationship with the United States government for thirty plus years, even before that, as trust territories. In other words, we like them so much, we trust we trust them 
uh, our national security is not threatened by them. We like them so much that we've been in this relationship for 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. I think, I truly believe by now that they have, they have proven they're loyal allies and they're good people enough. Why don't we make them U.S. citizens? They don't want to. Table. No, Joe. Joe, the answer is they don't want to. Now, at the time... How do we know? How do we, we know? Is because the, is the we asked them. No, we asked they, them. They, they didn't no, no, let me, let me they, go they to... themselves didn't choose. They, yeah. they and chose had to have own... a relationship Ju- with the United States to free associate. So also See, that's what I'm talking about. No one is answering my question here. Do they have a referendum? Yes. Do they have a referendum? Yes. And the majority of their people in a democracy chose... Not to become U.S. citizens. Well, understand yes. here. Now, let's let's read the background here. The, to, after these areas in Micronesia were um, uh, colonies of Japan at the end of the war. Now, except for Guam, and the rest of them were put on what's called a UN trusteeship here with the UN under the U.S. Uh, under the U.S. leadership. The, the U.S. was the trustee, but they were UN trust territory. And then they yeah. reached a point in the end of the nineties where it time to them to exercise the right of self determination. Uh, one of them, the Commonwealth and uh, uh, Northern Marianas, chose to enter into a Commonwealth status and negotiated process. The other three major components of the trust uh, of the um, uh, the uh, Micronesian trust territory was uh, including the Marshall Islands and Palau, and the other uh, island chains, which is the uh, remainder part of the trusteeship. They all chose independence, and they chose to negotiate a what is known as a free association status with the United States that had a relationship to dealing with defense and other things, and, but maintained their independence. Now, their elected leadership, their democratic elected leadership for Palau and the Marshall Islands and the Evesim since then have maintained their independence here, okay, maintained that position and maintained having a continuing free association relationship with the United States for a number of reasons, including uh, uh, fe- uh, uh, defense purposes and, and, and other, other needs, and also to allow their people free access uh, for reasons of job employment to the United States. That's how they get to Guam. So, no, this was done, you understand, this was done on, monitored by the UN at the time as each one of these uh, entities of the, uh, of the tra- uh, trust territory exercised their right to self-determination, which we have never had the opportunity to do so here in Guam. Okay, but, yeah, yeah, I'm but, sorry, I apologize. I know this is your program. Go ahead. You, you have a right to go where you want with it. Okay. But I think you, you, answered, you, you started, you gave me a basic background. Right as to how we got to the point where they decided as of, I think, 1986, when they became an independent nation, sovereign nation. Some did. Remember, the CNMI chose to be a commonwealth, okay? Okay, fine. So, yeah. Leaving them out. But the other, the other uh, jurisdictions opted for sovereign nation status. Okay? Well, well now, no, I'm sorry, caller, just, just to clarify here. Part of the premise of the UN trusteeship is that these entities all already had sovereignty. Yes. And because they had sovereignties, they could choose to be part of the U.S. or choose to be independent or choose what they didn't ultimately all chose to do, except for the CNMI, which is an independent nation. Of free every, every few years they negotiate the terms of, of, of their agreement, right? No, not their independence, but of their free, of the free association yes, agreement, okay? Their, their independence, their they've never... With is, the, the United States. Their, their independence has never been subject to negotiation. Right. Okay, so, so, so here's, here's the thing. Do every time they nego- they renegotiate the terms of their what did you call it again? In, uh, the the like compacts of free a association support package. Uh, okay, the, the, the compact. Every every time they renegotiate the compact, yeah. do they put 
the the prospect of becoming U.S. citizens on on the table. Having done that already, when the exercise of free free association, they've the elected leadership, democratic elected by those people, those entities, have not seen the necessity for it. There is not. Okay, so there's so you're there, saying that it hasn't been done because it well, for, well, well first of all, first of all, they, they when don't you, come when, back to it. You don't keep them back to it. For example, Scotland had a referendum uh, several uh, several years ago on whether to have independence from the U.K. Now you don't do these every year. Or even every few years, you do it one to get a settle and move on, and okay, everybody you know, agreed uh, that uh, that one would settle for the end yeah, of the I future. I want to thank you so much for giving me time on your program. Sure, but I always feel that this this is not going to be nearly enough time. This is something that you would have a town hall for. It's going to take a long time to to. Are you still there? I'm still here. I think that may be a good idea. I know I know Colada yeah, would find interesting. Town hall, yeah. bring this up. Okay, and and, uh, and here in Guam to be inclusive of U.S. citizens. Now remember, we are U.S. citizens. Right. It needs to mean something. But now it doesn't seem to mean anything if we don't have representation at the negotiating table. And I, I think so, someone might say, "Oh, but they're but they're, they're they're negotiating for the U.S. government, and 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 we're 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 under the authority of the U.S. government, so they're, they're negotiating for us." Do you, I think you you would have to ask local leaders. Do you feel like you're being being given consideration in this in this compact agreement? We think. We I, I think. I think. I, I think it's fair to see a lot of people say no. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Well, though, uh, as I have I said, you feel, but also have I said earlier, think? our situation is is that we are governed by a president we didn't elect a Congress we have no vote in, and judges picked by the president we didn't elect, and a Congress we have no vote in. We are a so colony. So I agree there should be a town hall to further well, this conversation. I could, well, I think it would be helpful. Like like is, sure. um, I feel that um, there's many ways to get your positions heard. The governor has come up with a list of five things that we want to see in this uh, negotiation. One of them has been knocked out of the ballpark already, and that is having Micronesians uh, get Medicaid in order to take them off of our local um, health care system. And, but do you uh, agree? That, we should, could uh, we have a town hall on Guam for others? So, um, there's, there's many ways to get your voices heard. Ultimately, we would love to be at the table, but um, the, the FSM, to give you an idea, the FSM, the last time they renegotiated their package in 2003, they were at the table with the State Department. And then when they went to the Congress with that document, their chief negotiator said seven of the things that we thought we negotiated that were supposed to be in here are not. And five things that we've never seen before, ever until this day, were added. So the sanctity of being at the table... You know, you, you, they, they, the FSM told us, put your efforts into the Congress. So when we, the governor and I met, went, met with officials in the FSM, they said, concentrate at Congress. Don't waste all your time and effort to get to the negotiating table. Um, take it to Congress. So that's what I would say. Just being at the table didn't give you, uh, didn't, give you the sanctity of the negotiated document that you thought you had. So we're talking about St. Nicholas, Congressman St. Nicholas, right? Um, Congress, I am working right now with Congressman St. Nicholas. Uh, the, the one that I was talking about was uh, Senator Peter Christian, who was the FSM negotiator for the FSM, who was, in 2003, was shocked and appalled to find out that, you know, the document wasn't what they thought it was going to be, and they were scrambling at the last minute in hearings at the congressional level to fix the issues that were wrong with it. Hey, you know, I want to thank you for your time there, uh, Senator. 
uh, younger one, and, uh, and Tyrone, I appreciate it, and I'll just keep listening. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, thank thanks. you for listening to us. We think sometimes we're the geekiest policy wonks on the planet. Oh, okay. <laughs> thank, thanks, Joe. But thanks to Joe. He's called in before, so thanks for the contribution to it. So... Uh, 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 you know, again, this speaks to one of the reasons why I've had this show is that the stuff we cover are really complicated and they can't be fit into like a couple calling inches of the newspaper or a 30 second soundbite. As, mm-hmm. as the conversation with Joe's kind of outlined, there's a lot of stuff here. And his, his suggestion for a town hall is, is interesting. I'm, I'm a little, um, I think it has to be handled carefully. There's one thing for us to have a town hall to decide what we do as a community. There's another thing to have a town hall to decide what other communities uh, should do with their political status. But be that as it may, that he's raised um, an interesting subject. And maybe, we, maybe I will dedicate a program just to lay out this whole history. Mm-hmm. of the uh, trust, trust ter- uh, uh, trust, uh, the trust well, territory Tyrone, and how I we got to this you, point. I'm going to let everybody know that there are several senators from Micronesia that have been uh, stranded here on Guam because they can't get back into Pompeii. Still? One is a, a floor leader for the FSM Congress, and another one is a state representative from Chuuk. Still? So uh, there's been some interesting discussion, what I would say to the previous callers, comments. Chuk has been going back and forth on whether they should secede from the FSM because uh, could they get their own better deal with the United States or there are those that think that they could get a better deal from China. So this has kind of uh, sparked a lot of uh, debate and discussion about what would be the best move uh, uh, and what should they do. So that idea of citizenship is is uh, that he brought up, it's, it's still dynamic with them. Chuk is 40,000 of the, uh, there's 103,000 people in, in the FSM, and Chuk is 40,000 by themselves. So they're, uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, 60,000 in Chuk, 40,000 in mm-hmm. um, the rest of the, the islands. So they, they've got the majority of the people there. Well, you know, um, since there are a number of um, uh, elected officials from the FSM stranded on Guam because of the COVID-19 trial restrictions, right. so what do you think, Carla? you think we can get them on the data hub of some future programs so they can air out all these issues? I think so. Okay, well, something to, so something to work on. I think I can approach them and ask them, but, uh, um, but um, I, I, I'm not sure that they are used to doing this. No. Uh, here, I'm sure they've got radio shows back home, but they're just not used to... You know, your format, your show, our callers, they might be a little nervous, but uh, I'll, I'll give it a good old girl's well, try. Well, my podcasts are, are posted on our Bureau's social media pages so they can yeah. see what, uh, what, they're, what they're in. But, you know, part of the reason why we do this program is to, to expand people's understanding of um, issues, concerns, and, and provide some, some concrete information. And I, and I would think if we're going to chart a future course for the island of Guam, we need to more fully understand our neighbors. So may, that's what I would like to do if they get on the program, just to get their perspective on how they see their communities progressing or how they would like to see their communities progressing. And then and it gets people an understanding of the issues that, that confront them. Clearly, Joe, who called earlier, has an interest in this stuff, and I might suspect a number of our, of our listeners as well. And they're also looking forward to see what's coming from... Uh, uh, coming from uh, the incoming uh, uh, Biden-Harris, or the, the not incoming, they're here now, six days in, mm-hmm. the Biden-Harris administration. And there are uh, a number of people that, for those who follow national news or uh, watch uh, some of the cable news workers like uh, like uh, like uh, CNN and MSNBC and Fox have, have probably seen a number of the people coming in, including uh, the new energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm, a former governor of Michigan, 
who's been uh, uh, a hardworking uh, uh, democratic strategist and advocate for, uh, for many years, um, the former presidential candidate and mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg, as the new Secretary of Transportation, who is also going to be one of those people where, um, that is going to have a, a decisive, uh, uh, important uh, 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 part and part of the process in affecting federal policy to Guam. Uh, by all uh, um, measurements here, uh, the federal government is looking at some point is going to do a massive infrastructure bill. You remember, right. remember, remember infrastructure week. It'll it'll right. finally happen. You know, about several months after the Trump administration left office. But so, in which case here, the uh, a good part of the decisions about what to uh, fund is going to come from uh, to be decided by uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg and his people at the Transportation Department. And and it's interesting from uh, and by the way, we've uh, because of the long presidential campaign, we have connections to those people. I know uh, his partner has been. Uh, as, uh, as did some outreach uh, when Buttigieg was running for president to uh, with uh, Lieutenant Governor Tenorio. So there, there's that connection going on from the from the presidential mm -hmm. campaign. But also, um, as a mayor of a small town, he's seen the problems of uh, sometimes the, the transportation infrastructure needs of small communities being overlooked, or else they get the wrong thing, like a massive, massive superhighway that like bypasses them. And uh, so it's that sensitivity. I hope I'm sure would would uh, play a big role in 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 and uh, in how we uh, uh, we are accessing probably some of this infrastructure uh, funding here. Uh, some of the other people uh, on the list is Nira uh, Tandon, who's been uh, on the news talk shows, the OMB director. Uh, Javier Becerra, who was used to be a congressman from California, is currently uh, before the TN this time, the state attorney general of California. Mm -hmm. uh, there is. Um, Oh, Homeland Security, you know, as uh, issues dealing with um, immigrations and, and customs uh, um, are probably going to be impacted with Homeland Security, which is administered by, by the other Disney is Alejandro Mayorkas, who was born in Cuba. Uh, you know, on, on that topic, um, um, the director uh, Homeland Security, um, he came uh, at one time, he was the director of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Right. Um, so having a deep understanding of the border, I think, is very important uh, for us. And, like, some of the issues that we're dealing with here is um, the citizens coming from the freely associated states. There's no doubt about that. But also there's over 200 people from Russia that are here right now. Right. And that's created quite uh, um, a growing problem. And um, they're wanting to get asylum or... Uh, how accessible the federal uh, system is to them. Um, but that's definitely something that I think that this administration is going to be hoping to get more help with mm -hmm. from, um, you know, to get some some results or to get some action, uh, court dates or whatever needs to be on the, the Russians stranded here. Do you know too much about that? Uh, uh, I understand that they're all waiting for court dates and things like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole asylum-seeking process that was, uh, for the largest extent, was sort of uh, uh, curbed and shut down for asylum seekers elsewhere. Uh, and, and, that's, and that's my understanding of the bottlenecks here, but uh, hoping, hoping the new Homeland Secretary can sort that out here. One other issue that I know will, will come before Homeland Security is, uh, as you know, uh, Governor Liangaro and Lieutenant Governor Tenoro have been very uh, active in pursuing the idea of creating a free trade zone mm, in order to yeah. develop manufacturing. Well, that 
basically is a matter of customs matter, you know, and customs um, is a is a bureau or the you know immigration and customs enforcement uh, bureau is part of the Department of Homeland Security. So aside from those issues of immigration, there is a an important economic. Uh, um, uh, initiative that is uh, is part of uh, I know the uh, Governor Mango's um, agenda uh, for the Homeland Security Department. I think that I really like the thought of our geographic proximity to mm-hmm. Asia being used for an economic argument, and not just that we're the tip of the spear for military ramping up in response. Right, right, and I, I, I um, and and that that was that that is hopefully because you know the Biden administration would be concerned for an economic recovery uh, mm-hmm. for the uh, entire island. We were you were talking about you know people with David Del Sola before you came on the air about uh, the administration pushed for more flexibility in some of the approval program, particularly for people dealing with reduced hours. And one of the uh, one of the uh, uh, holdups uh, with it here is that the uh, uh, Biden administration uh, nominee for uh, Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh, the uh, the mayor of Boston, and who came out of the also the labor union movement, he's still one of those many cabinet appointees, penny appointment, uh, including uh, also VA Secretary Dennis McDonough. As you know, there's a major push uh, from the uh, from the uh, Leandro Tenor administration to deal with veterans affairs. Um, Secretary McDonough is mostly came up for the national security apparatus. He's only the second uh, VA secretary who was um, who was not actually a, a veteran. Uh, but he was like deputy national security advisor under uh, under President Obama. He was one of those people in the room when they got Osama bin Laden from that famous photograph. So uh, he raised a lot of uh, heft to that uh, to uh, to that position. Uh, you know, there is also um, uh, other agencies that are key to what we do here. For example, the SBA, the new SBA administrator is uh, Isabel Guzman, who was um, comes from the uh, California's office of small business advocate. Uh, in a a state government position in California. So she will also play a a key agenda in in including a number of the recovery programs uh, that uh, have uh, have, uh, come out of the administration. Another key appointee is Michael Regan, the new um, uh, administrator of GEPA. And and particularly since we're doing another lot of massive pushes for uh, recycling and the zero waste program here, uh, that one is is also important. As well as Deanne Criswell, the new female administrator. She worked, this woman worked as a firefighter for 21 years and uh, has been working in uh, 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 emergency management uh, Offices at the state level, but also uh, in uh, in FEMA during the Obama administration, and and up to this point was commissioner of the New York City Emergency Management Department. So, uh, you know, what so I would, you know, what's interesting about FEMA is for many years when there was a disaster that hit in Micronesia, FEMA would respond. Then in 2003, the U.S. government changed it and said. Since you're an independent country, uh, FEMA is more domestic, so we're going to we're going to assign you to U.S. Aid. Mm. U.S. Aid didn't know anything about Micronesia, and in responding to disasters, they had a problematic uh, record, no kidding, uh, to say the least. So, in this negotiation, uh, the FSM is trying to get back to FEMA. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's, uh, uh, it shows that they feel that they see FEMA out here on Guam. They saw them in the CNMI just recently. FEMA understands this part of the world more than USAID did. I think USAID is, when they go to respond or to help these countries, it's like 
a country of 30 million or 12 million or, you know, 18 million when, you know, an island gets hit and there's, you know, 18,000 people on that island. I don't think they knew how to deal with those kind of numbers spread across logistical areas, you know, challenging areas like that. They didn't do such a great job. And so the FSM wants FEMA back. Yes, and and um, and let's see how that turns out. Now, I, I will also mention here that um, what people uh, um, is important not only after actual natural disasters, but they have an ongoing program called hazard mitigation, mm-hmm. where it's a federal grant program to make investments to like uh, harden facilities and do things to uh, prepare for uh, storms so that they, there's not enough damage here. And as a matter of fact. Uh, the Bureau of Statistics and Plans is preparing a number of grant applications under their hazard mitigation program to submit to deal with flooding issues down south, as in Santa Rita right. and Marizo and Umatic here. So it, it's a it's a very crucial part of the. Um, of is the, that uh, why is that part of the program that hardened Guam from uh, the tin houses to the houses that are able to withstand well, you know well, 180 miles an hour? Is well, that, well, the, that for the for well for it? well for private homes, I think it more has to do with the banks refuse to loan money to anybody who wasn't building a concrete house. So in terms of com- uh, private sector commercial business and private residential homes, I think that has more as the impact. But things like uh, and and I'm, I'm I have to check it out, but I suspect things like GPA putting power lines underground. Uh, that probably deal with it, and stuff that reinforce certain infrastructure, key infrastructure. Uh, that was an important part of uh, of this program. There is, um, there is, uh, as we down down as, as usual, a lot of the stuff is we sort of run out of time to go deeply into this. But um, among the executive orders is a um, uh, as an order issue, executive issued by President Biden to moder- uh, modernizing regulatory review, and it's a very a jargonistic um, um, sort of uh, uh, executive order that people don't fully appreciate by realizing it. But part of what, um, and it has to do with mostly the work of the Office of Management Budget, and an office in it called the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. And what has happened is, historically, is that ad, before a regulation becomes uh, in going into effect, it goes to this office to review uh, its impact, uh, particularly on um, on uh, in mo- mostly a narrow uh, sort of cost-benefit economic analysis, and what the uh, and in, and actually what it's been criticized by many because it ignores uh, the other costs that aren't necessarily narrowly cost-benefit economic cost-benefit like social environmental costs. Uh, they're not e- the things that are not easily transferred in dollar amounts, but 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 they know we know happens there is by as in by the sort of cleanup costs that come afterwards because you haven't yeah. done the environmental or regulation to do this stuff so um, you know there, uh, there is um, it, it you know it, it it allows for an actual component assessing what are the true costs to a society in terms of not only in terms of of, of money uh, expended and saved but also in terms of life saved illnesses stopped or, ch- or childhood de- development protected and so they, it's, it's very jargonous, but it's interesting, new consideration for um, regulations that come out of, um, of D.C. instead of narrowly um, economic cost economic benefit analysis, which is favored uh, business interests, and does not really uh, get uh, calculated to according to critics, the true cost of society. That's important, I think, for us, uh, particularly as the uh, regulatory regimes are are um, uh, continually imposed uh, by the federal government and us in terms of and in dealing with uh, uh, that we are that the regulations here are also deal with uh, uh, 
the true issues to us here. And I mean, to quote the, the executive order, it, um, the regulatory reviews from that office in OMB is just to promote, quote, public health and safety, economic growth, social welfare, racial justice, environmental stewardship, human dignity, equity, and the interests of future generations. You know, so, uh, you know, that, that, that is a, that is a, again, kind of jargonous, but a huge component into this and, uh, which portends implications far beyond, um, you know, uh, what this, this, the nascent sort of executive order. Anyway, so Carla. I have to say on, on, uh, I remember, you might remember, and I mm-hmm. was a journalist at the time. Do you remember when, uh, Governor Ricky Bergaglio just about lost his, uh, blew his stack? Uh, when this, the, the, he was getting fined or threatened with lawsuits and fines mm-hmm. over not putting these very expensive scrubbers mm-hmm. on uh, GPA. And he was saying, those are regulations made for places where you're up against a mountain that's going to stop the, right. the plumes of smoke and it's going to contaminate. There's nothing around us. It's just blowing out. Why should I have to put all that money on there and raise rates to put it through a process that is unnecessary and unrealistic for our part of the world. So I always remember him igniting in me that question to look at, well, I can see why that might make sense over there, but does that make sense here? Yes, and and so it, it'll be one of the things to look for moving forward. So, Carlotta, we've reached this probe in the discussion that we often reach and where we come to the conclusion that we haven't, we, 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 even given that we devote an hour, it's simply not enough time for all the stuff left to discuss. And we are reaching that point where we're heading on a hard break at least 7 o'clock for the CBS Radio News. And so uh, for this last sort of um, last couple of minutes, if there's anything um, you, you want to uh, sort of add to uh, the discussion uh, about um, uh, what to look forward with the, uh, with the, uh, uh, with the, uh, um, the Biden-Harris administration and not only some of the policies but some of their Actions. I mean, a number of them, for example, have uh, uh, they uh, uh, they've increased the, the mask wearing requirement for all federal properties, and and also things regulated by the federal government. So not only include uh, trains, but planes. And so ma- wearing masks is not going to be an option traveling on planes going through the uh, uh, U.S. here. And also uh, step to efforts to combat COVID-19, which is the major crisis for the country. Um, those are good things um, uh, for, uh, for, uh, for, Gu- uh, for Guam, uh, considering that we are part of the, uh, of the U.S., and this is a, a major problem for uh, uh, us uh, nationally here. You know? And uh, uh, they also is, uh, they've done a number of things to, uh, for example, put a halt to uh, uh, foreclosures on student loans, and they've reduced the interest rate down to zero. That affects people here, uh, and, and a whole range of things. So anything you want to add in this last minute we have in the air? And, and I'll have you back that, as the, um, as the policies I continue. I think that the, um, the governor, Governor Leon Grone, Lieutenant Governor Josh Tenorio, I would say I think they're pretty excited at the prospect of working with uh, the uh, new administration. Uh, I was in a meeting with the governor the other day, and she just casually mentioned that when she was in a governor's meeting with uh, President Biden, he told all the governors, just call me Joe. Do you know how extraordinary that is? Yeah. For, for the, so the governor was talking with us, and she was saying, well, Joe said this, and Joe said that. And, and we were taken back, and we looked at her, and that's when she said, no, no, he told me to call him that. Uh, I think that... Um, 
that says a lot about the the relationship that he wants to have with the working governors when you start out like that. Mm-hmm. I think that Governor Leongra was very uh, receptive to that, and I think we're looking uh, very much forward to the days when we can get back on the planes, when we can go travel, and, and go get to meet all these fine folks that we've just described, uh, and um, start talking issues with them. and submitting testimony and going right. to the and, Hill. And, and Carlotta, a good sentiment for a good sentiment when you have it back on the program. We were hitting the hard uh, break of the 7 o'clock uh, CBS Radio News. See you guys next week. Bye. News Talk K57 is 570 AM KGUM, Hagatnya Guam.